together. Uh, this Sunday, we're taking a break from 1 Samuel and the story of David and Goliath. Um, if you like that story, you've got to come back next Sunday. Uh, but today is what we call our Vision Sunday, where we take a break. We spend this Sunday in September every year really thinking about reminding ourselves about who we are as a church. So that as you, as you consider um, your walk with God, as you consider your involvement in church, your involvement here at Mount Calvary, you will know without any doubt what we are about and what we stand for. And so um, it's on our sign. It's on the, the slide right behind me, so you probably see it now. It's, it's on our bulletin. It's in our lobby. Um, as a church, we want to help you passionately pursue Christ. But this is what we want for you. And this is what I want for myself. This is what we want for our elders. This is what we want for our staff and our teachers. This is what we want for our kids. That as a church, we want to help you passionately pursue Jesus. And that it's not just this little church that believes that this is what you're called to do, but it is what we believe, the Bible, and what God is, has made you for and what he's calling you to. Passion, pursuit, and Jesus. Uh, if you didn't know this, um, I am a very big baseball fan. Um, I grew up in a family that le lived and breathed all things baseball. I grew up going to the field right down the street from my house in Salem, Virginia, Ted Weber Field. It didn't. We spent our summers at the baseball field, and it didn't even matter if we were even playing. And so I love watching baseball, too. We, it was very normal for us to pile into our Volkswagen Farfignugan to get in the car and to head south. You know those cars. Yeah, it's embarrassing, very embarrassing. We would get in that car and we'd go south to watch our favorite team play in Atlanta, Georgia, the Atlanta Braves at Turner Field. And this was just something our family did all the time together. And so um, I still love watching baseball. I still love watching the Braves. Uh, and when I met Ashley, I had to tell her that this is who, who I am, that I can sit and watch all 162 games with no problem and be in complete bliss watching the Braves. And it was confusing to her that I would enjoy doing this. And now that we have kids, our kids have learned that this is what I like to do. And they have also been, always been, puzzled by this, watching men hit a ball with a stick all these traditions and rules that make no sense. And here's dad wildly cheering for the Atlanta Braves. This last season, especially, my kids were really concerned for me. Uh, the Braves won the World Series. And along the way, there were lots of close games, big plays um, that caused me to get a little crazy and what I would do when the Braves made a big play, like in game six, Jorge Soler hit a big home run, I get up into our living room, and there's the entryway from our dining room into our living room, and I pound on the entryway, and my kids and my wife and my dogs just look at me like, 
this guy is crazy. Well, this year, um, something really neat has happened. Is all of a sudden, I've seen my daughter Caroline sitting with me during the games. And out of nowhere, I mean, I guess not nowhere, but all of a sudden, Caroline has really started to enjoy uh, watching the Braves. And so it started, she would sit with me during a game. There was a game this summer where we were losing in the ninth inning, and one of our first-year players, a rookie, Michael Harris, came up and he hit a home run and with two outs in the ninth, I think, to tie the game. And, and so I started to celebrate, and Caroline had jumped up out of the sofa and was cheering. And I tried to tell her, like, come, here's the entryway. You can pound it with me. <laughs> she wasn't quite ready for that. But this is what's happening to her and to my, to my sons as well. We went to our first they went to their first game uh, this summer against the Phillies, and we got there early. We got to meet some players from the Braves team. They signed some, some baseball. Jack got a game ball uh, from one of the attendants. Uh, Truman got to run the bases at the end of the game. Um, and, and now all of Marquez, but especially Caroline, wants to watch every single game. It's a really proud moment as a father. Um, but Caroline knows every player's name, every position. She knows their numbers. She knows the rules. She knows who they're playing. And, and this, is, this is who she is. Her birthday's coming up in a, in a couple of weeks. And you know what she wants for her birthday? An Austin Riley Braves jersey. And I said, I will gladly get you that, hon. Um, the other day, I was downstairs with the boys, and she was up watching the game, and I heard screaming and I ran upstairs, what, what has Ruby done? What is going on? And just a home run, Dad. Just relax. Now, this is an illustration. Who, who are we as a church? We want to help you become like Caroline has become with the brace, but with Jesus. And it's not, a, it's not a perfect illustration, right? Because fans can be crazy. They can be raving. They can come and they can go based on how the team is, is doing. And so it's not a perfect illustration. But I think it captures the heart of what, what we want, what I want for myself, and what we want for you is that you would passionately, joyfully, gratefully pursue Jesus that you would, that that would be a characteristic of your life, that it doesn't matter that if you've been a Christian for 50 years or it's been five minutes, that it doesn't matter if you come into this place and you are bitter and angry and disappointed with your life, that it doesn't matter if you have everything you could ever want, that you have money and happiness and that you are content, and it doesn't matter your politics, it doesn't matter if you're single or you're married, but that we want to help you. That as a church, why we get together is that we want to help you wherever you are, passionately pursue Jesus. And so as we consider this, what does this look like for us today? Because how do we get there? I want to look at one passage in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible, Philippians 3, 7 through 16. I'll put it on the screen behind me. We'll read the passage and then I'll pray. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Father, work in our hearts, in our minds, that we would hear your word today, that you would meet us in your word, and that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, you would equip us to leave this place and to be passionate pursuers of you. You are worthy, but help us, God. Help us to hear, to understand your word that our lives would be changed. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So in Philippians 3 here, we are jumping literally in the middle of this letter. I don't like just jumping in the middle of a passage, but it's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, Paul is writing a letter from prison to the church in Philippi. And this is a church he loves. This is the first church he started in Europe. Okay, back in Acts 16, you can read the story of where the church came from. And it's, this, it's an incredible story um, with Lydia and the Roman jailer and the slave girl. Uh, and, but now Paul is in Rome and he is in prison. And he wishes he could go and see this church that he loves, that he started, but he can't. So the church recognizing this church in Philippi, recognizing Paul is in prison, has sent Epaphroditus to bring Paul gifts. And so now Paul is writing them to say thank you, to express his gratitude for the gifts, to communicate that Epaphroditus is doing better. He apparently got very sick in his travels to Rome. But then also practically, spiritually speaking, Paul is writing this church to say, hear my words. I'm in prison, and I'm, I may not make it out of prison, and I can't come see you, and so let me give you my last words, my final spiritual words about how you can continue in your walk with Jesus. And these are incredible final words. And so here's how I'm going to break it down, because I think the heart of what he's telling them is our vision statement passionately pursuing Christ. And so as I read this passage this week, I, I quickly realized there, there is many more sermons that could be done in Philippians 3. But we're going to focus just on a few things in terms of how might we passionately pursue Jesus Christ. And so here are the three questions we want to ask. Why would we passionately pursue Christ? 
in the first place? What keeps us from passionately pursuing Christ? And what happens when we passionately pursue Christ? So why would we passionately pursue Christ? Why don't we? Why not? Why aren't we doing this? And then, so what? What happens when we do this? So the first question, why would we passionately pursue Christ? In the first place, why, why would we do this? Look with me at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is a fantastic verse. And to me, this is the best verse that captures who we are as a church. I mean, this, this verse gives us the key to unlock our entire vision statement. This is the fuel. This is the wind in the sails. This verse, it is so important for us to understand this one verse, if we are going to have any clue about our vision statement of passionately pursuing Christ, because it tells us why we are to do it. Without the answer of the question, well, why would we passionately bang on entryway walls when we come into church? Like, why would we be joyful and grateful and give our time and our energy and, and pursue in pursuing Jesus? And, and this is where we get the answer to the question. Paul says, because, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Why am I throwing things off of me that I could pursue Christ? Why am I pressing on to make it my own, which I'll talk about here in a little bit, which is essentially knowing Christ, pursuing Christ. Why am I doing that? Because Christ Jesus made me his own. So just let's just think about this for a few minutes. I mean, what, what a verse. There's so much here that teaches us. Okay, so look, look at this. The same word that is used to describe what we are to be doing today and in the future, making Jesus Christ our own, is the same word that was used to describe what Jesus has already done for us. That's a pretty simple observation. The same word is used in other words, if we are going to passionately pursue Christ, which is what I'm saying this word's going to mean, and we'll talk about this word, but if we are going to make him our own to the depth and to the degree that we understand that Jesus has already done for us is to the depth and to the degree that we can return it back to him. This is the foundation Right? We learn how to make him our own by looking at how Jesus has made us his own. And it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the word uh, for used with Jesus in the second time, it is a past tense word. It's something that has been done definitively in the past. Jesus has made me his own. Yet, when describing what we are to be returning to Jesus, this is a present. This is something we will be continuing to do, that we will be striving, we will be pressing on to consistently, daily, weekly, 
next year, tomorrow, every moment, that we are pressing on to do what Jesus has done for us. And so this is important. I mean, our, our vision statement is, is incomplete. Incomplete. Pastor Ray said this years ago when he preached on this. But it is not just us passionately pursuing Christ. This verse tells us, it reveals to us that we passionately pursued Jesus because he passionately pursued us. But let's look at this one word because this is the key word of the whole passage. In the Greek, I know you love learning Greek. I'll put it up on the screen. Kata limbano. Kata lambano, okay? The lambano is a verb. It means to receive or to take or to catch. Kata is a preposition, okay? So depending on the context of the preposition, it can mean all sorts of things. But when it is paired with a verb like this, it's going to give emphasis. It's going to give intensity. So the ESV, we've just read it about five times, this this word kata limbano is translated to make it my own. In your, in your translation, maybe it says to take hold of, to seize, to, to take, to, to grab. Okay, but this to me is, is the word that we have to understand because it tells us what Jesus has done for us and then it tells us what we are to do back to him. So let's do a quick word study on this. You go through the New Testament, this word is used a few times in Mark chapter 9, a really powerful passage. A father brings Jesus his son, and he says to Jesus, he says, my son is being overwhelmed and overtaken by this demon. And when, this, when my son gets overtaken by this demon, he throws him in fire, he throws him in water, and he just, this demon completely controls this, my, my boy. And it's been happening his whole life. And the word that he used in Mark 9 to describe the demon seizing and grabbing hold of the boy, you know where I'm going, catalimbano. He, he is taking hold of the boy. In Greek, in the Greek, uh, in the culture, this word was used in, to describe military history. So there's a Greek historian, Herodotus, and in one of his books, he's describing this war in Persia, and there's these two armies that are fighting. The one army is overpowering the other, so they start to retreat and to run and to hide. And then the, the historian describes the army that was, was winning, to how they pursued and seized the army that was running away. And, and the English translation, pursue and seize, is this Greek word right here. And this is what Jesus did for you. I mean, there's a tenacity to this. There's a fierceness to this. Pursue and seize and grab hold of and make it my own and cling to. It's not just he came and picked us up and gave us a hug. He pursued us and he seized us. He apprehended us. I mean, this is the love of Jesus for you. Reckless was the word that I thought of. Now, that's controversial. 
But I mean, there is this fierceness to this of what Jesus has done for us. And this was certainly true of, of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. I mean, he came and got Paul. I mean, he blinded him, he threw him to the ground, and he radically rescued Paul from his, from his lifestyle, from his life of persecution. And this is certainly true of your conversion. But you didn't just stumble upon God. He pursued and seized you, and he took hold of you. His love came for you. And you didn't, you didn't take it up, and you didn't start it, and you didn't find it. But no, he started it up in you, and it is life-changing that you were stuck. You were sinking. You were hopeless. You were hurting. And God sent his son to take on hell on the cross for you. It's true in the cross. It's true in your conversion. He came after you. And th this, this is our foundation. Th this is what informs us to passionately pursue Jesus without Jesus passionately pursuing us. Th then us pursuing him makes no sense. And so, again, I'll say it again, to the depth and to the degree that we understand what Jesus has done for us is to the depth and to the degree that we today will passionately pursue him. I think of an illustration I've shared before of the boys that were stuck in the cave back in 2018 in Thailand. Soccer team after practice, they want to celebrate. A movie just came out about this. They go to this cave, and they, they start to go in the cave. And as soon as they go in the cave, it starts to rain and rain, and rain, and rain. The rainy season comes early. The boys are deep into the cave. Families start to realize our, our boys were supposed to come home, and they are not here. And they, they put the pieces together, and they realize that these boys were deep into the cave. And the, the World Cup was happening. It became this, uh, this massive global story. I, I mean, the world literally came together to try to save these, these nine boys and their coach in the cave. And they've spent tons of money, tons of resources, tons of time to try to rescue these boys. They tried drilling holes in the cave that it would drain some of the water. They tried pumping water out onto the fields. They tried maybe thinking, well, what if we wait for the, the rain to just end? But they realized, quickly realized, that the oxygen level of the cave that the boys were in, that it was quickly depleting and that these boys didn't have much time. These boys were two miles into this cave, two miles filled with water, and, and they quickly realized the only hope that we have for these boys is that if we go in after them to rescue them. And so the, the best divers of the world came together, working with the Thai divers. And they went two miles in to, these, to get these boys. And when they got them, they realized, if we just give them the masks and the special breathing tanks and the equipment, that they, they will not make it the two miles because it is so tight and so dark and so long, they will panic. And so they realized that they have to sedate the boys to just enough that they can still breathe while being underwater, that we can maneuver the boys out of this cave and to safety. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, they, listen, they would not be stopped. 
I mean, the, the tenacity to save these boys of the world, to come together to get them. And listen, this is but a picture of what Jesus has done for us pursuing us in our sin and in our hopelessness, seizing us with his love, holding on to us with his love. And it is this that is the foundation for our vision statement. And we continue in the passage. There are several reasons that Paul very humbly gives us on why we don't return that back to Jesus. Why don't we passionately pursue him? What keeps us? Just a few, quickly. Verse 12, Paul says, I haven't obtained it, and I'm not perfect. In a way, this is comforting to us, that Paul here is admitting. Paul is saying, I'm never going to get it. Okay, I'm never going to fully know Jesus. And I'm not perfect. He's Paul saying, I am a sinner. And I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm pursuing to know him. But why am I not doing it? Because I have sinned, and I will never obtain what I am going after. Verse 13, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. To say, what keeps us from pursuing Christ? Our past can keep us from pursuing Jesus today. Now, a lot of times we look at this verse thinking bad things in the past that we need to kind of move on from. But Paul's not just thinking about negative, bad, challenging past events. He's, he's thinking of all the positive things he lists in the first eight verses of chapter 3. My pedigree, my family background, my schooling. I will not let my past, whether good or bad, keep me from right now pursuing knowing who Jesus is. And in verse 13, he gives us another, just kind of a reality check to this whole passionately pursuing Jesus. Look at the verb he uses. And he uses this kind of verb several times throughout the passage. I strain. I strain. Meaning, this isn't easy. And maybe that's a that's affirming to you, but it's affirming to me that this passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus, of valuing him and wanting to know him, that it is, it is not easy. And it wasn't easy for Paul. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for any of us that it is, it is a challenge. We are straining for it. We are working hard to get there. I mean, this is an athletic word. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews, talking about the race. I mean, we are running, we are straining, and you get to the end of the race, you are exhausted, but you keep going. Remember the triathlon I was sharing about many months ago? I talked a lot about it before I did the triathlon, but as I realized, it was a miserable, miserable moment for me. I haven't talked about it afterwards because it was so, so challenging in every way. It's now time to share a little bit about the challenge uh, I did this triathlon, and, and I was really excited, and, and it was so difficult. I got in the water, and I had trained pretty hard, uh, but I did the swimming piece at Olympic record pace, okay? I went way too fast in the water, like blew by everyone, swimming like a dolphin. I mean, I'm blazing through this. I'm feeling so good. 
seeing all these, I'm going, I'm going to win. There's no winning, but I'm going to win. And I get out of the water at the end of the swim, and I felt like my world was spinning. I, I felt like, like, is this, what's going on? Like, my legs were exhausted. I've got to walk to my bike, and I literally think I'm going to crawl to my bike because I have nothing left to give. And I get to the bike, and I've done tons of biking. That's what I've, I, that's easy to work on. And I get on my bike, and I start to go, and I look down at my watch, and I, I notice I'm less than a mile in, and I think to myself, I have nothing left to give on this race. Like, I have nowhere else. I hope a car comes and bumps me and breaks my bike, or I hope I get lost and I fall down because I can't, there's no way I can finish this race. But I kept going, but it's like, what, what is my, what is my motive, what was my motivation in finishing this miserable, it was miserable, miserable race that I, for some reason, decided to do? Okay, what, what's the prize? I mean, what did I get at the end? I got a t-shirt that I never will wear again. It's like, I, I was able to get through the race with just a little bit of motivation. But then we consider this. What was the, what's the motivation for pursuing Jesus in this passage? It's not a t-shirt. It's not a prize or a medal. He says, for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Look at verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I mean, what's the prize? What's, what's, the, what's the motivation? What, the, the question that I've posed here, what happens when we passionately pursue Christ? What's good, what are we going to get when we do it? If we're straining and it is hard work, like what, what do we get for it? And Paul tells us, Everything is, is, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying he is more valuable than anything else. And then he tells them in verse 10, three things. Here are three things that you will get or three things that will happen to you when, yes, you strain. And yes, you're not perfect. And yes, you have passed. And yes, you have a personality and all these things. But look at what you get when you pursue him, knowing him. He tells us, verse 10, that, so that, it's the result, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering. Three things, that I may know him. That when we strain to know who Jesus is, to experience him and taste him and spend time with him, when we, when we push ourselves to pursue him, we're told he is knowable. You will learn about him. You will discover him. You will experience him so that I may know him. What a gift. And then these last two, that I may know the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, that I would be like him in his death and resurrection. 
So let's just stay with me. We're right at the end. Okay, when I read this, my first thought was, why did Paul use this order to talk about the so that? So that what will happen? You would, you would expect, or I would expect, I was expecting, that the first thing that he would say is, I would share in his suffering. And then what comes after the suffering and the death like Jesus? Then, so that I experience the power of his resurrection. But Paul doesn't use that order. He flips the two. That I would know him, that I may experience the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings with him. Why, why does Paul use this order? Why does resurrection come before the suffering? Well, this isn't talking about your resurrection. This isn't talking about your resurrection. That, that's going to happen, and he refers to that in that third, in that third so that. But what he is saying is, you, you, when you strain to pursue Jesus and to know him, one of the benefits that you get is that you can know the power of his resurrection right now, today. In your life today, you can experience and know the power of his resurrection, the power, his supernatural power to change your life. Theologically, we call this regeneration. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, he, he gives you new life, but it is something that continues to happen that as you pursue him, he, the, the same power that was used to resurrect Jesus is the same power that can change your life. And hopefully you've experienced this. I mean, I remember when I was first married, quickly I learned how angry of a person I am, how impatient of a person I am. I mean, all my life, it, it was me serving myself. And now I have Ashley who comes in and, and it's just different. And you start to kind of have this, this rub, this friction of my life is no longer just about serving myself. And I'm seeing this anger and this impatience. And, and she's talking to me about this. And what do you do? You don't just say, well, it's just how I've always been. And this is just my personality. I'm kind of loud. And, you know, I get passionate. And this is just, this just how I grew up. And this is all. No, that's not what you say. I, fall, I fell to my knees and I said, Jesus, change me. Change me. The power, if you and your power can resurrect Jesus, then you can change my anger and my impatience. And I sought him, and I looked at his word, and I prayed, and I had conversations and he changed me. Now, I'm not perfect. I've got kids and dogs and craziness. Like, I still have anger, and I still have impatience, just like Paul said. I've not obtained it, but the power of Jesus can change us, and I've seen it in big things, bigger things, in marriages, marriages that are built on layers of bitterness and anger and unfaithfulness and impurity, like years, decades. And I saw a couple that I worked with years ago and it was, it was a bad situation. It was a bad situation. And I looked at her and she said, we are doing well. We are pursuing Jesus together. And we're getting counseling and we're getting help. And I mean, it, it, it was a miracle. But listen, 
the problems that, that we have, the struggles that we have, the, the issue isn't the power of the resurrected Jesus in you. The, the problem is, is our pursuit of Jesus. That's the issue. Because here's what Paul is saying. When I strain to know him, I, I will know him and I will experience personally the power of his resurrection to change my life. And then we go out into the world. This is that last one. So I share in his sufferings. And it now makes a lot of sense. I'm pursuing to know Jesus. And I'm straining for it. And it's hard, but I'm knowing him. I'm learning about him. I'm experiencing him. And I'm experiencing the power of Jesus to change my life. And then I go out into the world. And guess what? His resurrection power is helping me to love my enemies. And to be kind to people who aren't kind to me, to be, to be generous with the things that I have, and, and to care for people, and to talk to people, and to serve people. And then what happens? What happens when the world sees us living out of the resurrection power to be like Jesus? The world's not going to like it. What, did, what happened to Jesus? What happened to Jesus is going to happen to us when we live like he does. But even in, in persecution and even in death, Back to verse 8, surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And it is, it is worth it, knowing him, experiencing his resurrection power, the fellowship that we can have in suffering like he does. It is, it is all worth it. And so this is our prayer as a church. That as a church, we want to help you first see how Jesus came after you. And that when you see it, then we want to help you overflow and respond to that by straining to know him better because it's not natural and it's not easy. And so we, Ryan mentioned a few of the habits. I'll put them on the screen. These are, these are habits that we say will help you strain to know him better and experience his resurrection power in your life today. And some of those happen, those three on the left happen in your home privately, but we want to help you do that. As you study the Bible, that, that's where you unlock who, who Jesus is. And then the three on the right are things that we have community groups for and grow groups for and different ministries for. And confess sin happens in groups corporately, but then it also happens privately at home. And so this is, this is our hope and prayer, that this new school year, this new ministry year, that you would passionately pursue Jesus because we've started to understand how Jesus has passionately pursued us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came and you rescued us, that you kata lambano us, that you seized us and you grabbed hold of us and you made us your own, that we were stuck we were sinking, we were hopeless, and you saved us. And God, I pray that we would begin to fathom what that means today. That as we sing this song about beholding you, God, that you would help us to behold you. And that that, Father, the truth of who we are in Jesus would fuel us as we seek to pursue you that it's hard, and yes, we're tired in the morning, and we got to go to work, and we have stressors. We have all these things that are hard, but God, we would strain because it is so much more valuable than anything else. 
And so God, help us, help me. God, as I passionately pursue you, that I would represent you in a world that desperately needs you. It's in the name of your son we pray, amen.